Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the CEO of Gong. Yes, the CEO of Gong.io, Amit Bendov. No further introduction needed. Why should people listen, Nick? Do I need to say anything more? But on today's show, we cover some really interesting things about selling to executives, leveraging your own executives to sell, and using interesting things like an NDA to get to power. Listen to this one. Oh, and lastly, if you thought a meat didn't have it anymore because he's a CEO and maybe he might not be able to sell anymore, you are horribly mistaken. This man is a heck of a salesperson. And so this is just as actionable as any other episode. Three, two, one, hit the gong. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All right, Amit, welcome to 30 Minutes to President's Club. You know we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three. 
All right, number one, bigger isn't always harder. So sometimes it's not much harder to sell like a larger deal. If you sell it for like 10,000, probably like 20,000, kind of the same ballpark of effort. And sometimes like 200,000 is easier because it gets a negotiation like higher authority and things could actually go a lot faster. Very cool. What's number two? Number two, how to use your executives to uh, help you open and close a deal. First, it's great to use them to door opening. I mean, they have like board connection. They could like parachute you right at the top. Second, like throughout the process, maybe like communicate like vision of the company and and like commitment to the partnership. And three, kind of to help like close the deal, show respect and commitment and make the customer feel good about the, uh, the ongoing partnership. There is a flip side of that, like we're not to use, like if the deal is like going south, right? And you don't know to explain why they should buy from you and not from the other guys or why they should pay you. Like your CEO probably can't help you. You need to know and then like use them to kind of like help provide tailwind. Beautiful. What's the last one, Amit? The last one at first, like it is crucial, especially like in B2B that you like work like multiple contacts. Like if you're talking like one or two people, the odds of you closing the deal are pretty slim. So just check. And as a teaser, uh, you know, the big question, how do you get to like the higher ups? How do you navigate your up? How do you get to like more contact with the organization? But that's probably what we're going to be talking like down the road, right? Let's do it. So I feel really awkward because one of the things that I don't want to do is I don't want to go to one of your reps when we're looking at buying gong Amit and say like, hey, I know you're important here, but can I go talk to your CEO Amit? And so what is the way that won't piss anybody off to properly ask for access to power? There's there's a number of ways to do it. And let's try to go over them. So first, like, I mean, let's like the way you ask it, like, uh, would it be okay if I go to your CEO? Like, you're going to get a no, like almost certainly. Like our CEO is busy. Does it, this is like I'm doing. So one way to do it, like, suppose that you like what you see, like besides you, who else would need to authorize this, right? Now you're, you're respectful and he needs to tell you the truth, right? So now you could kind of like agree that, yeah, you're, you're the decision maker, but there, there are actually others. But there are other ways to do it, right? Which are kind of like a little more tricky, right? So one, sometimes like even asking to sign an agreement, it could be as simple as an NDA, right? You said to do that, we need to sign an NDA. Now you know that you get someone who's like at least like a, maybe not the CEO, but someone who's like an authority to sign. So this is our official. Something charging for stuff. Like if there's a POC or a study or an evaluation, just charging helps you get to other people in the organization that actually can authorize a purchase or any expense. Sometimes if you go back to like point number two, how to uh, use your, your CEO or CRO, wherever it is, it says, listen, my, my CEO is psyched about the deal with your company. He's, he's begging him to speak with your CEO. Do you think they're, what are the odds of getting these guys connected, right? So now it's like power, speaking of the same level of power, you're not like going and you're not belittling his or her importance. So Amit, I imagine that there are times when somebody's selling something to Gong, they'll use some of these approaches and you'll be pulled into the deal. And my guess is when you've gotten to a point where Gong is seriously considering buying something to the point that you're pulled into the conversation, it's not meeting number one. It's not even meeting number two. The, the sale has gotten fairly deep into the process and you need to be briefed 
on what's happening. And so I'm curious from your perspective, have you seen sales reps do that well when you come into a deal and you need to get some context for the conversation they've had with your organization? And if so, how? The advice is like get to the point. And I do it sometimes like even in a company, people like present a business case for something. It's like, you know, 20 slides and that's, that's all good. But I would do the thing just, you know, okay, can I see the last slide? Like start the last slide. If we agree on that, I don't need to see the rest, right? We're done, right? And then I might have some questions, but just start like, why should I care? And like, I mean, this could really like increase sales productivity by 13% with things like, you know, $1.7 million of saving next year. This is like a $250,000 investment. It's been used by, so now like value and then like risk. This has been using by, by, you know, 20 other companies like us. They're writing about it. These companies are legit. I recommend that we do it. So first, like value, and second, like address kind of like the risk and the uh, the concerns. Simple as that. And I find that that's where a lot of times reps will get screwed up. Is we talked about getting above the power line or getting to power. Oftentimes, what happens is if you start at power and you start going and trying to sell something to a meet, and you start going into the demo and showing them every single nook and cranny of your spreadsheet, a meet's going to kick it down, right? You're going to kick it down below power because you're like, this is too in the weeds for me. So you got to, you got to start with the, so what, but at the same time, like you need to get that stuff done. So you talked about multi-threading a deal and how multi-threading a deal is going to make sure that like you have a higher close ratio. So could you walk us through like, how do you artfully multi-thread a deal without feeling like you're just like hopping all over the organization, all over the place? So first, like know like who your real buyer is and try to get kind of the, the lowest ranking person who can actually like make a purchase decision, right? So one of my companies, we're like, I mean, we're starting like pitch to CIOs and we're getting their attention. We're like, they'd be happy to talk to us. But I noticed that every time they'll kind of like delegate us to the application director because they weren't really the decision makers. It's not a decision they're capable of making, right? Just too technical and they would not force people to buy. So we actually said, okay, we're going to start selling to the IT directors in our domain and actually like shave like two weeks from the sales cycle because we got the person who can make the, per- they have the budget, they can do it, they're supportive, we're wasting our time with the CEOs. So just kind of like the lowest ranking person, they're easier to get to, right? But they can make the purchase. Second, it's easier to go like top down than bottom up. I mean, it's, it's harder to get to these people, right? But once you do it, kind of the whole sales cycle in, and they may say like, okay, yeah, you worked with my team on that. But once the team already got, they know that you're talking. They know that they kind of have like a, at least kind of like a high level blessing that, yeah, this is something that I, I think is at least interesting. The whole sales cycle takes like a different place. Understand like who needs to be like typical. So people talk about like ICP, it's like one person, but think about more like a ICP is an ideal customer team profile, right? Who's like... Who would need to be, it's like, uh, is it security, is it IT, is it finance, just try to map kind of like all the people and be proactive about it. Because usually these people are involved in a decision. Like if we, assuming that you have kind of like a timeline for the project and some sense of urgency, like I would recommend that these are the people are usually involved, let's involve them early so they're definitely legal, right? It's harder to navigate up for the reason that we mentioned, some people would want to block you, they don't want to like bother their boss and... But if you start from the top, it's easier. 
the one thing I want to go back to is one of the things you talked about is like to get to power. It's very unconventional. Usually you think to accelerate a deal, you want to discount a deal, right? You want to drop the price so it can close quicker, but you're actually saying you should be raising price to accelerate a deal. Could you walk us through like what that is and, and why you do it? If low pricing creates like low commitment on the customer side, let's say if you said something for $5, then you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, nobody cares. It's very easy to write it off, right? But once the stakes are higher, people take it more seriously. So they're more, much more likely to get a successful customer, right? And again, I don't know if like high for is like 10,000 or 100 or a million, right? But so that's one thing. Second, it's the the people that need to authorize, right? Because sometimes people that can purchase for 10,000 might not be senior enough in the organization to actually promote your project or your, your, your sales initiative out there. So by actually like raising the price, you kind of force a discussion with the higher ops, right? But of course, your value proposition message has to be aligned. It's not the same thing that they're buying. They're not buying a product. They're not buying technology some kind of like higher order value proposition that will resonate well with the buyers. So Ami, I want to flip on our head one of the things we talked about earlier. We talked about when we're going in and we're selling to an executive and you shared a bit about your perspective of when your organization is being sold to. I want to talk a little bit about leveraging our own executives to, to help us as salespeople. And so you sort of alluded to in the beginning, there's really three stages that you might bring in an executive. You've got the early stage to open up a deal. You've got the middle stage, and then you've kind of got the end where you're solidifying it. And so I want to get your sense on what's the best way to prepare an executive to come in to meet with your prospects so that they can have an effective conversation and help you sell. Yeah, super important. And, and I'm fortunate that the Gong thing is actually using it pretty effectively and I get like a brief and sometimes on important deals, we'll schedule like a meeting just to prepare. Come prepared, right? It's not, not just the niceties and, you know, my title is the CEO. You got to understand. So who are you meeting with? What is their background? Kind of like recent context. What is their attitude? Like, are they like fans, skeptics, or like actually like hate the idea, right? Three, kind of like the overall business context for the customer is always helpful to understand, like, are they like growing? Are they like stuck somewhere? Was there like a recent, like our team actually like reads like poorly uh, earnings report of the company is actually trying to say like, what are the top issues for the company? Even SDRs for outbound. Finally, kind of like what's the value proposition, right? Everything so far is kind of context, but why do you think they should buy? Right. Where is the value? And again, it's not kind of like the usually not the functionality. It's kind of like this is what we're trying to accomplish as a business, and this is why this is strategic for them. So you you got to know that. Okay. And so now let's say the rep has brought you on to a call. What do those calls look like? Are you bringing? Are the reps bringing in a solutions engineer? Are they bringing on other people? What does the audience look like when you're involving an executive in a customer call, both on the internal and external side? Sometimes the best ones are the ones it's just like one-on-one. Sometimes we just me and like the other CEO or CRO or whatever buyer is. And the point is more or less to kind of create a relationship, right? You're not even like trying to sell. You're trying to get to know each other. And that's what they really want. You're not necessarily selling the product. It's 
getting a closer relationship, especially if they're going to make like a big bet on you. They want to make sure that they have access to someone who can help them if things don't work well or if someone is committed. So I think that it's more about like creating a relationship. Sometimes for some of the meetings, there is a more structured agenda, right? That is like, here's what we understand. Kind of for me, it could be like a strategic vision of the company, right? Again, it's like they're making a bet on their long-term partner, like especially so they want to know like where is here's what I'm buying today, but where is this going to be like in a year, in two years, and in three years? Answer any questions that they might have. So they ask like, you know, what concerns do you have? So they can hear it from me, right? So I can uh, I can address them. But that's like mostly it's about like who the companies make them feel comfortable with partnering with you. I love that you mentioned that because the first time I ever brought the CEO of my company into a customer deal, my CEO met up with the CEO of this customer I was selling to, and they met up for lunch in a city that I wasn't even in at the time, and I wasn't there. So all I did was make the lunch reservation, and I remember being really nervous that, like, how do I know they're going to do the right thing, and like my CEO is going to talk about the right thing. And so when I got a report afterwards, he was like, yeah, we talked about how we grew up in the same part of the country for about 45 minutes and we talked business for five or 10 minutes. But the relationship was so powerful that my CEO even helped us do some things internally to win the deal. And so it was almost like they sold each other on working together as opposed to just a a slide deck. So I mean, one of the things that I'm sure you get brought into all the time is you mentioned in the prep call that you'll say no to deals. Sometimes you say this customer isn't a fit for us for one reason or another. And a lot of times where we see reps bringing in the CEO is if there's something that we don't have built yet, that we need to get the customer to agree to, and we need to get them to buy into something that we're promising them that we'll eventually have. And so do you have any do's or don'ts or way of thinking about like, Hey, a customer's asking for this and we don't have it. How should we frame that and set expectations with them on whether or not we can deliver there? We don't sell roadmap. Like for strategic customer, we will say like, these are the plans, but very, it's never like, it never gets to a situation where like you need these, we say like, you know, we estimate that we might have it by this, but they recognize it's not like a contractual commitment, something that we don't have. So very upfront, we try to stick to what we have right now. That's what people buy. And I find personally, it's a, it's a healthier approach, right? Kind of long-term. You might lose a deal sometime, but that's actually like the, the right thing to do. Well, Amit, this has been a, a phenomenal question. We ask one question to every single guest every time. And so we talked about a lot of good habits that reps have. We talked about multi-threading deals, getting to power, even raising your price to get to power. But there are oftentimes some things that Gong is pointing out. And so if there was one bad habit that every single rep had to break today, what would it be? Just don't over talk yourself, right? Just people tend to like talk too much. You see, I'm, I'm being self-aware now and I'm asking myself if I'm talking too much, but just become like a better listener is important. I mean, that, that's all like a lot of other things. Well, everybody, you got to listen up for Amit's last word here. And Amit, is there anything else you want to plug or chime in with the audience before we jump off here? I mean, do I get, should I say like bygone or something? Or yes. This is your moment. Bye, Gong. Yeah, I mean, my team would be upset if I if I didn't mention it. Yeah, check us out. There are actually a lot of tips on our on our on our blog. So all the Gong Labs with data points and on multi-threading and and like how to become a, a ask better questions, how to navigate your way out. There, it's like real 
science-based data. So I, I mean, check it out. It's really good. Well, I mean, I'm actually curious, and Armand, I want to take us for a second off the script because you guys really do put out, out some interesting data. Is there anything recently that you've seen from a data perspective where you said, oh, I'm actually surprised by that, that you think listeners should know about? I'm not surprised. I mean, sometimes you don't have to be surprised. It's kind of like the data validates things that you know, but in, in quantify. So I think they're, especially now, like we got a lot of questions like, uh, should I turn my camera on or not? Right? How important it is. So the question is like, it's actually like, your odds of winning are actually double if the camera is on. Off? On. Oh, on. I was like, oh, gosh. On, on. And if you wear a Hawaiian shirt, like, it's like, you're both. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you can look for that one. But, uh, yeah, definitely try to keep the camera on. I know sometimes it's hard to, uh, there, like, there was a good discussion. Like, should, you know, you ask the prospect to do it. I think you should, but not push. Just, hey, this is a video conference with a camera that's great. Sometimes people don't feel comfortable, right? They might have like kids running around or, you know, the hair isn't done or, or something. So, but I mean, it's it's good. If you, if you do it, it increases your likelihood of, of winning. And that's how you connect with people, right? On an emotional level, just facial expressions and they see that you're a real person and you're nice and you're good looking or whatever. So, uh, yeah, turn it on. Armand and I have negative marks in that, that department. It causes lost deals. <laughs> well, hey, this has been a blast of a conversation. Is there anything else you want to cover before we jump off here? Uh, no, thanks for inviting me. And I uh, hope it was uh, good. And uh, good luck to all of you. And uh, don't, don't send me like emails like all of you like next week trying to, trying to uh, get for something with all those tips. But, well, nobody harass a meet with all of your cold emails, but absolutely the best sales blog that I've personally seen out there. Amazing data, amazing insights, and a, a world-class sales team. Amit, thank you for jumping on. And everybody hang on for a 60-second recap email coming up soon. Cheers. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Amit Bendov include, number one, one tricky way to get to power is ask somebody to sign an NDA. It has to go to somebody who has some power to make some decisions. Number two, one of the things that you think about when getting to power and also multi-threading deals is try to find the lowest ranking person who can still make a purchasing decision. Because going to the CEO, the CEO can't just tell finance what to do. 
Okay, number three, you got to raise prices to get the power. Crazy. Raise prices is going to get your attention from the executives. It's going to get the attention from the board. And then lastly, number four, use your execs at all points of the deal cycle. Bring them in early to get exec by them, to show them that you're going to get the best service. Bring them in late in the deal so that they have full confidence that you're going to be giving them the best possible service. And then of course, try not to bring them in only when a deal is going south because there's only so much they can do. Nick, how can people help us out here? Alrighty, guys. So we asked for it on the last show, but we are looking for sponsors for 30 Minutes to President's Club. So if you know somebody who wants to be a sponsor and you refer us to them and they end up sponsoring the show, we will give you a Starbucks gift card or a corn dog gift card. So where do they sell corn dogs, Armand? I think you can get corn dogs at a hot dog on a stick. Oh, or Walmart. Okay, we need to redo that. Well, everybody, listen to the show. We'll talk to you next time. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.